watchers in the fourth dimension. Material that was deemed non-marketable, was worthless and just thrown away. And she says, yeah, no one wants them, they're just all black and white prints. Things were still on the shelf, um, and that's where I found the Doctor Who's. Hello, and welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony, and I am delighted to bring you another special bonus episode. With COVID-19, many conventions went virtual for 2020. Atlanta-based DragonCon was no exception to this, and the various tracks that make up the con recorded online panels that were published on the weekend when DragonCon would normally be held. The British media track, aka the Brit track, was kind enough to invite us to participate in this, and what you are about to listen to is the audio version of our panel. The four of us were joined by Brit track director Caro McCulley Tidwell, as well as friend of the podcast Alan Seiler, for a discussion about Doctor Who's missing episodes. So, make yourself a cup of tea, or whatever your beverage of choice may be, settle down and enjoy. Con Carol from the Brit Track here, the director. With me today are a wonderful bunch of folks. Today we're going to be talking about the missing episodes of Doctor Who. So we're just going to chat about all the information related to that, and we've got a few questions to see if they can answer and help us out. With me tonight, we've got Alan. Say hi, Alan. Howdy, y'all. Alan is an amazing writer, and he'll tell you a little bit later at the end of the panel about his wonderful works. I also have with me the amazing podcast, Watchers of the Fourth Dimension, and with me are Don. Say hi, Don. Hi. Anthony. Say hi, Anthony, their audience. Hello. <laughs> Julie. Say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. And Riley. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. This is a great evening for a wonderful chat. So we're going to get right into it. Doctor has uh, something very curious about the show. The show's been around for a really long time, as we know, and there's this issue with missing episodes. So why are episodes missing from Doctor Who? Let's go ahead and start with Julie. Why, why are they missing? <laughs> of course, we picked me. All right. So reasons why they're missing is... Back in the 60s, there wasn't this idea of reruns or, oh, hey, we're going to be playing these episodes over and over again. So there was this kind of one and done feel. So after a while, the BBC was like, well, we need to like make some room. There's a lot of film just lying around. So a good bit of it was burned or reused for something else. And that's why some of the film is missing. Okay. Anthony, do you want to add anything? Because did I mess up? <laughs> I mean, that, that pretty much sums it up. There is one other thing, the British Actors Union. They didn't have it contracted to do more than an airing twice. The first airing and the second airing most of the time. And so they wouldn't want to have to pay the actors again to show it a third or fourth time. So why keep it around? It's not like there'd be digital streaming services later that might want to show it. And a lot of people would be willing to pay a lot of money for it. But, you know. It's important to note also that television was viewed as a disposable commodity at the time. 
it wasn't something that was going to be stored, you know, and kept around for a long time. You can kind of ding the BBC for loss of episodes, but the amount of Doctor Who from the 60s that exists is actually remarkable. There are a lot of series that don't exist at all. There's, I mean, like the early seasons of the Avengers are pretty much non-existent. So the fact that we have so much content from Hartnell and Troughton is incredible. That's actually quite true because Monty Python's Flying Circus was almost completely wiped. If someone at the BBC Mm -hmm. hadn't contacted Terry Gilliam to tell him, hey, we're throwing your show away, you want to come pick it up? That'd be (laughs) lost too. But there's actually another reason why we have more missing episodes during the early seasons. The wiping of the tapes ran between 1967 until up until the late 70s. As late as about the mid-1990s, a station in Africa contacted the BBC and said, hey, we've been going through our archives. We have the entirety of Doctor Who seasons one and two. Would you like them? (laughs) Notice this is after videotapes were a thing. And they're like, no, that's fine. We don't need it. We've already got it, I think, was what they said. Because the person in the department they contacted didn't realize that some of those episodes were still missing. So that station in Africa then went and wiped those tapes, which is awful when you think about it, because there was Doctor Who that we don't have today that still existed somewhere in the world in about 1998. Additionally, uh, the one thing I want to talk about here is really British TV as a medium was very much spawned off of the idea of broadcast theatre. If you think about it, a lot of the shows that were on at the time, Armchair Theatre being a prime example, you know, the, the concept of going to a theatre is you're going to see a performance, and I think, as, as someone already said, it, it's one and done. Mm-hmm. And the idea that this, this came out of theatre gives it that much more experiential, you see it once and it's, it's over with kind of vibe, which was really part of why they didn't keep the tapes, in addition to, to keeping the space on the shelves and so on. As Alan said, shows like The Avengers, missing, Quatermass, missing, A for Andromeda. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't just a British thing. There are some treasures of American TV that are missing. If you think about the Super Bowl, probably one of the most broadcast events on US TV, the early Super Bowls are entirely missing as well. Uh, Of the first five, I think two or three of them are missing. I don't know how this kind of correlates to uh, American television, but with the BBC, they didn't actually establish an archives department until 1974. And the first complete catalog of their holdings wasn't completed until 78. So I think it's really interesting that there wasn't even the ability to keep these things or to have them cataloged in that kind of way until that, you know, a decade after what we're talking about. You also had different departments within the BBC that were keeping archives, Mm. but they all assumed that it was the other department's responsibility (laughs) to keep these. So they would go ahead and wipe theirs, just assuming that another one would take care of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what do you think are some theories on where the episodes are? And what do you guys think is the likelihood of any of them being found? Go, Anthony. Okay, so if there are any left, there are really two places they could be. One would be in foreign archives. So the last returns that came in 2013 when they found uh, the enemy of the world and the web of fear came from archives in, I believe, Nigeria. Equally, there may be a few episodes, and the predominant missing episode hunter, Philip Morris, has said that he believes there are six of them that are in the hands of private collectors. So if there's anything else out there, those are the two places that they could be. There is an ongoing search. 
of foreign archives, whether or not anything will show up, we don't know, hopefully. And they have a dialogue with some private collectors who they believe may have episodes to try and persuade them to lend their film canisters to the BBC to copy. Yeah, well, likelihood, I think there could be a few more that are returned, but I honestly think that at this point, I don't anticipate all of them being ever returned. You know, there was the big rumor around 2013 when those, the other two stories came back that there was this mother load of missing items that was about to be returned, that the BBC were about to acquire. Nothing ever came of that. It'd be nice, but... I think it's just supposed to be pessimistic, expect nothing and be grateful if something does come down the line. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember that started out as, as what they called the omni-rumor that was... Yes everything had been found by Phil Morris. Right, exactly. And then that got downscaled to what they called MEW, which was Marco, Enemy, and Web. So Marco Polo, Enemy of the World, and the Web of Fear. Two of which did get returned. Marco Polo wasn't part of it. So I feel like there's no smoke without fire. Um, Marco <laughs> Polo was the one story that was sold more places in the world than anything else. Right. Uh, in the entirety of Doctor Who, it's actually quite a fluke that we don't have it. So if anything is going to get returned, it's probably going to be that one. Okay, that's pretty fair. So which one story would you like to see the most returned? So let's start with Don. Don, what do you think? Which episode? Okay, if it was just one episode, it would be episode four of the 10th planet. Because it would complete the serial, <laughs> we get the finale of Hartnell, and I think that's a good way of completion. If you're talking a full serial and not just an episode, it would be Power of the Daleks. Yeah. You get Troughton's first appearance. You get the Daleks coming back. And I really like the serial, so I would like to see what it actually looked like. Okay. Anthony, what do you think? So, single episode, I'm with Don, 10th Planet, episode four. It would complete the story. It would give us Hartnell's last episode. Yes, please. If we're going to go for a full story, I'm going to go for something that I don't think any of my podcast conspirators would expect me to say and say The Smugglers. <laughs> Which is... Okay. I'm, I'm having internet issues. I thought we were the smugglers. Something is broken. So when we reviewed the, uh, the soundtrack of that story for the podcast, we all described it as being incredibly boring. There's no incidental music. The storyline, not particularly engaging. But I have a feeling that it was incredibly well-directed. It was one of mm. the first significant uses of location work. I have a feeling it probably looked phenomenal, mm -hmm. and it's probably one of the stories that would benefit the most from being seen. That's kind of what happened with Enemy of the World. It was oh, yeah. not one of the most popular stories ever, but then when it was finally seen, it's amazing. It's and it all comes down story. to the, the direction and the cast performances. I mean, it's just unbelievably good. I mean, I remember the last time I did a full show watch through in 2011, Ugh, I struggled with it. And then when it came back, I mean, it's easily now one of my favorite Second Doctor stories. It's, yeah. it's amazing. You're spot on, Alan. Okay. Julie, what do you think? I'm going to agree on episode. If it's the one episode, it's obviously the end of Hartnell. <laughs> if I'm going to go with full serial, I always go back to Marco Polo. That's just one that I love. Uh, it was the first one that we came across that was missing. But what I like about it is some of the costumes were amazing. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that. There was a sandstorm that I really wanted to see how they had done that. And then there's this one story that I believe, what was her name? Pink Cho? She gave this story that I feel like 
just was very beautifully done. And I really would have liked to have seen her do that. So, Marco Polo. Okay. Riley, what, what do you think? Well, <laughs> I was going to say the smugglers, but Anthony... Uh, <laughs> What are the odds? (laughs) Not only took my joke, but then actually gave a good, sound argument against it being a joke. So um, (laughs) (laughs) then I I agree that, you know, 10th Planet, that's all well and good. But I I really loved Underwater Menace. I loved it. I Mm. loved it all the way through. And I don't necessarily have a specific episode, but the Fall of Atlantis would have been, you know, that particular episode would have been really cool to see. A lot of the location shooting of that one was missing. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just a favorite of mine, and I just think visually it's going to be stunning. So So, I would say Underwater Menace. So, Riley, we both picked uh, stories directed by Julia Smith. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no idea to go there. (laughs) See, she's a great director. You guys didn't agree with me before. (laughs) I was right. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Alan, what do you think? All right, to bring it on home. My vote always and forever goes to a Dalek Master Plan because, mm-hmm. for one, it's phenomenal. The first six episodes are some of the best television that Doctor Who did in the 60s. The last two episodes are spectacular. It gets a little ropey in between there. The likelihood of it happening is a little low because it's, I think, the only serial that never sold overseas. There is very little chance of any, you know, outside of the UK holding of the of any print of this. So since that probably will never happen, my vote is going to go to the Myth Makers. Uh, it is so fun. It's one of the yeah. best scripts that uh, Doctor Who's ever done. the The dialogue is just sparkling. It's just incredible, and I think it's got so much wit, and it's just a heck of a lot of fun. Quick note on Dalek's master plan. I believe, uh, if I recall correctly, viewing prints were sent to Australia, but they didn't buy it. That's true. That is true. Yeah, that that is true. So there is one chance. One chance in a million. But interestingly, we shouldn't have any episodes of it, and we have three of the 12. Right. Exactly. And those three are so good. Yeah. Hartnell's performance in episode 10 is incredible. Yes. Yes. I'm surprised that nobody went with the the Yeti episode, the Web of Fear. I would love to see that in its entirety, just out of pure curiosity. I know that there's not much out there. It's the first appearance of Nicholas Courtney, so... And, uh, I mean, there's only one episode of the six that's currently missing, because that yeah. was part of the 2013 haul. But episode three, the missing one, was his actual yeah. first appearance. And the speculation is that is one of the ones in the hands of a private collector. When Philip Morris found the story in Nigeria, he is adamant that all six episodes were there on the shelf. And someone mm. lifted it before he could get them back. Mm. It was that good, apparently. It was the master. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would really want to see that in its entirety myself. So on to our next topic, but uh, which one story would you most like to see, which we've talked about? And moving on to what are the BBC doing to enable fans to experience the missing episode? So what are, what's up with the BBC? How are, they, how are they making sure that people are getting this information, seeing it, hearing it, and whatnot? Every one of the missing serials exists in a soundtrack format, usually by fans who literally held tape recorders up to the speaker on their television and recorded it and kept the tapes. So we have soundtrack 
for every missing story. And the BBC releasing those on cassette and then later on CD was really the first time that the first effort that was made to get those into the hands of fans so that we could experience them. And those, um, those cassette releases are fantastic. Those ones from the early 90s, there are really great ones of the power of the Daleks and the evil of the Daleks, which were narrated by Tom Baker. Mm. And my podcast co-conspirators have heard me ramble on at length about <laughs> how wonderful these are and how nostalgic they are. But it's just bonkers. And I think they, they are out there on the internet, if you know where to look and they, they are 100% worth tracking down and listening to. Of course, there, there was one way of experiencing them before that, the novelizations. Well, that's true. That's true. I didn't think of in that term. So but, that's more of, but that's really more of an adaptation from rather than... Yeah. An, but, it, but it was the way. That was the VHS tape. That was the DVD, the Blu-ray of its time. It was yeah. the only way, since there were no repeats of the episodes, the only way you could experience them. So in the 70s, where, as Alan said, no repeats, no, nothing being released on home media because it didn't exist, it was the only way fans of a certain generation experienced any Doctor Who story, missing or not, that wasn't yeah. being broadcast at the time. Mm -hmm. So as they were adapting those missing ones for some fans, that's how they got to know them. We've certainly mm -hmm. got uh, one listener on our podcast who comments on all of our stuff talking about the books every single time and yes. don't get me wrong it's mm -hmm. it's wonderful to hear it because it's great to hear how they differ and what that mm -hmm. experience is like but that's definitely the original one also within the past few years the bbc has contracted out to another company called planet 55 that's doing animations for the missing serials that are based on those soundtracks that were recorded by fans which mm -hmm. are very good yes they are they are very good they started releasing those in 2006 was the first one when they did two episodes of The Invasion, different animation studio back then. Mm -hmm. And then they, they're still going to this day. There's still a, a lot they haven't animated, but most recently they released the faceless ones. And then in a couple of months time, they're doing Fury from the Deep as well. Yes. Which is coming out. So what would you like to see? We know Fury of the Deep's coming out, but what would you guys like to see animated? Dalek's master plan. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that, that doesn't already exist, I think that would be a great serial from the do. They've already got the Dalek models built. Mm -hmm. I just think it would be a, gr a great thing to move on from since they just finished remastering and redoing Power of the Daleks. I think that's the gold standard that everyone would like to see. Realistically, that's nine missing episodes. That's a big chunk of budget. I think yeah. something see, a little yeah, smaller might yeah, happen sooner, much as I would love to yeah. see DMP. I, or, or Julie, are you thinking, okay, I, I, my idea was that I, I picked something that was only going to be four episodes and would probably be cheap to do animated. The Celestial Toymaker? Yes. No, but I like that. <laughs> Great idea. That's my choice, Billy. <laughs> I mean, Celestial Toymaker is a great choice, but the one I've went with, it's not my favorite. I don't think it's anyone's favorite, but it's four episodes. Okay. It really only has, if I recall, maybe like four different sets, so the animation can be done cheaply. Mm -hmm. And it has a creature in it that probably would look better animated than it did in real life. And that would be Galaxy 4, and I'm talking about the Chumblies. Yes! Chumblies! So yes. Just, just to clarify, your argument is... Hey, nobody likes this, but it'll be cheap. Yes. The marketing <laughs> just writes itself. <laughs> I like it. it. <laughs> the, the goal is to do all of them, right? Yes. So, you know, let's, let's keep the price low. Let's just keep the train going. All snark aside, I would love to see Galaxy 4 animated. I, I, well. I love it. I, th I think mm -hmm. it's a fun story. It's not I great, would, but it's fun. I would, I would love to see the Mythmakers animated. 
Yes, mm, but yeah. I want to see yeah. it done sort of stylistically, you know, where it's like yes. hieroglyphics and, you know, just really, really ancient kind of. Greek. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, let's do yeah. this in, in ancient Greek vase yeah. format. Right. Yeah. Um, but no, like, I mean, yeah. Alan's already argued for that story coming back, but I mean, that story is so funny. The comic timing is brilliant. And it, it really the, is. The comedic performances in particular. I mean, that's like, I mean, the, the, the lines are there, but like the delivery and how the characters are played up. And it shows a, a facet of Hartnell's performance that you don't see a lot of, and that comedic side. I think it's brilliant for that reason. Yeah, exactly. And but with animation, you do kind of miss a little bit of that, yeah. you know, because you don't know exactly how he reacted facially and and physically mm -hmm. to things. Um, I love how none of us have mentioned the massacre at all at any time. You know, that's true. That's a very good point. <laughs> because. Our podcast is not the biggest fan. And I also think that from a animation perspective, they're all sitting in a pub somewhere or like they're just, they're not, there's not a really good number of locations and the doctor and Steven are separated the entire time just about. So I just think that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't want to do that. But at the same time, once you build a digital puppet, basically, of Hartnell, he is usable as another character. So you have two characters <laughs> built from the same uh, digital wireframe. Yeah, yeah, but, but the amount of animation to get that hat that he wore. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. That's right, a that's good point. A, I mean, that's a couple hundred dollars right there. So. Right. <laughs> So we, we haven't got there yet on the podcast, but I, I know if we had, nobody would be saying the Space Pirates either. That I was actually going to say it as a joke, but... <laughs> is that you know it'll be Riley. You know it's going to be Riley's favorite serial of the whole thing. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, a big fan of, I'm, I'm a big fan of the 1984 Robert Ulrich Space Pirates movie, <laughs> and if anyone can remember that. Uh, no. <laughs> I think one of the most likely ones to be done next would be Evil of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And it's so good. I mean, then they would have yeah. a complete run from the moon base through mm -hmm. to the evil of the Daleks. So right. It would make so sense. It might get done in time for a Blu-ray release of that complete season. You've mm -hmm. also got the marketability factor of the Daleks and exactly. getting as many of their early stories out there as possible. Exactly. And that's and why I really want them to do Daleks Master Plan because you get all the Dalek stories and you get the yeah. evil Christmas tree. Just yes. All I really want to see. Yeah. But with the with the 60th anniversary, not too terribly many years away, uh, it would be a great time to release Evil. Yeah, yeah, this is true. It's very true. Anyone want to see the Highlanders? Yes, Julie knows. Uh, yes, <laughs> Julie's all about the Highlanders. Yes, <laughs> yes. I might be a really big fan of Jamie, so yes, <laughs> obviously seeing that first story. And thanks, Don. I, <laughs> I mean, Julie, it's just attractive men in kilts. That's kind of your thing. So, I mean, was, it is. was that the secondary title for that serial? Oh, yeah. Attractive <laughs> men in kilts, I think. Yes. Yeah. I will say, I will say that when the, the guys who are basically manage the animation releases were at Gallifrey One, and they said that the Highlanders is not one that's going to be done anytime soon. It's got an enormous cast for that mm -hmm. time frame. It's got a lot mm -hmm. of guest characters, and having to animate that much tartan would, would, <laughs> yes. be, would yep. be very hard to do. So it's uh, not going to be one that'll happen soon, I don't think. Yeah, because they did that in uh, the Macro Terror when he did his little dance. Right. But <laughs> But yeah, I could see that the tartan being a problem. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. 
So fans are, are supplementing episodes and making stuff. So what are some of that are your favorites that are out there? And, or maybe not your favorites that are out there. Don? Okay. Okay, I think my favorite is the Mission to the Unknown recreation that was yes. done by the University of Central Lancashire. Absolutely. I think that was an amazing idea just to do something recreating those 1960s techniques. Very educational, plus their final product was just incredible. Absolutely. Apart from that, as we move down in levels of quality, one of which <laughs> I won't ruin because it's it's totally Riley's baby, there are many different ways to experience these stories on YouTube. Uh, one that I did, I'm not sure if it was a good idea, but I did it anyway. For Marco Polo was, there's a channel called Who Recons. Someone used these missing episodes as an exercise in basically teaching themselves CGI modeling. Admittedly, a lot of it looks like, you know, like PS1 era cutscene graphics, but I really admire the fact that they took all this time to animate all of those missing episodes. Don, I, I checked in on them. They're they're still going. They three months ago yeah. they uploaded a, uh, the wheel in space. Yeah, uh, it's very easy to bag nice. on to bag on projects like that. Like, oh, it doesn't look as good as this or that. But these are just people in their spare time mm -hmm. giving you something to watch. And as technology progresses, more things are being happened. Like, there's one thing called Ebsynth, which lets you take stills and animate them based on someone else's performance. So you get actual lip movements from photographs of the actors. Mm -hmm. It's okay. kind of weird looking, but at the same time, it's very cool. Mm -hmm. Is that like clutch cargo looking where it's just like frozen and let just you see lips? Thankfully, <laughs> it's better than that because okay. it's also the eyes and stuff like that. But it, it's a little off-putting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, while we're on the YouTube subject, I came across a person who put in a lot of time. I would not say that the quality of the animation looks like PS1 era CGI. It's more... Microsoft Scribbled. Paint. Yeah, Microsoft Paint uh, kind of thing. Okay. And you have to admire the person like did Myth Makers all the way through. And, you know, you would have the characters and they would just kind of slide into scenes like... You know, like ooh. Like that, like they enter a doorway and they go whoop, like that. And uh, it was, it's an experience. I would say if you've already seen the reconstruction of it, go ahead and watch it. And it's, uh, and, and you know, we, we have fun with it, but seriously, the, the amount of work the person did, no matter what you want to say about like what it was, no matter where the person did is impressive. And that's one of the things that's great about the Who community is like, it's something that people can mm -hmm. express, they can communicate, they can do things, they can try stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun, and it's good just to see someone like try something. And unfortunately, the person hasn't done one. The last upload they did was, I believe, nine years ago. Wow! So, but it's still up there. If you can go up there, uh, it's Doctor Who Animator Doctor Dr. Not spelled out, but it's there, and it's it's fun. And the person put a lot of work into it, and I appreciate the effort. And it was fun. It is definitely fun. There's another one that I would like to kind of point out, and this is, again, on the YouTube scene. And, and it's actually one of the stories that never got made. It was supposed to be, the I think, the second serial. And when it didn't come through, they commissioned the Daleks. So, you know, we still have a show because of that. But it's called The Masters of Luxor. And there was a group that staged the entire thing. They built sets. They built the robots. They, you know, they did the characters. It was a full four-episode production. And it's really good. It's really good, really well done. So look for it. 
Speaking of actually remounting things, I, I wanted to go back to Mission to the Unknown and, and U Clan's remount. That was such a smart one to do because none of the series regulars were actually in it. It's the right. one episode in the entire show that the Doctor isn't in at all. The companions aren't in it. And none of those characters we actually see again in the show. So it's not like it's jarring by taking those characters, having them be played by a bunch of student actors, and then we see them again two weeks later with different actors if, if we were to actually have the next part in that storyline. And yeah, it's incredibly well done. And it, I don't think any other story would necessarily work in the same way without having William Hartnell or, or even David Bradley, for example, portraying it, the first It doctor. almost seems like a pilot for a weird Dalek-focused spinoff, doesn't it? Almost. <laughs> mm. Technically, the loose cannon reconstructions are because of fans. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, we, we were just, I mean, we're going over Evil of Daleks and we were talking about how they added in some of their own live action shots to it. Like the, oh, back, yeah. oh, Victoria, yeah. the back of Victoria's head or like her moving down a hallway. I mean, yeah, it, it, it flows with it. I mean, anything that adds to, the, adds to your imagination that pulls you in more, it's good. Mm-hmm. So anyone it, it doesn't break anything. It doesn't break anything at all. So anyone uh, watching who is not familiar with the concept of Loose Cannon, Loose Cannon is a group of fans uh, headed by a chap called, I believe, Derek Handley, who have been making what we call reconstructions of Missing Doctor Who stories since the late 90s. And they are effectively, they've taken the, the various screen caps of the story that do exist and taken those fan-recorded soundtracks that we mentioned earlier and kind of put those images to the soundtrack so you get an idea of what's going on. And occasionally there's text that will like, come across the bottom of the screen to tell you like <coughs> Jamie walks into the room and listens silently or something like that and it gives you a really good sense of how the story panned out and how it how it looked mm-hmm. some are of a much better quality than others depending on when they were made the early mm-hmm. ones 20 years later are looking pretty ropey but the more <laughs> recent ones look quite good and in fact now we're getting those really nice blu-ray releases of the animations the bbc have hired derek handley to come in and do the official reconstructions that accompany those animations as well so you have the option of you can watch the recon or you can watch the animation depending on which one you like so that's that's where the kind of fan efforts and the official efforts of blood when loose cannon were doing this unofficially the bbc were aware they knew they were using their copyright material and they just kind of turned a blind eye to it i think we're very lucky for these missing stories that for many of them telesnaps do exist which were Mm -hmm. these were photographs that were taken uh, almost like screenshots but they actually set a camera up and took a picture of what was going on Uh, this was done so that the directors would have something for their resume same for their actors and except for a certain period, thanks, John Wiles, they exist for most of these missing stories. Right. So you can combine those with the soundtracks the fan recorded to kind of get an idea of what it actually looked like. Mm-hmm. That's how I watch Marco Polo. Oh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We can't get through one of these without talking about John Wiles, can we? <laughs> his, go- his goatee really suited him. That's what I'll say nicely about John Wiles. At least Richard Martin hasn't come up yet. Oh, I just no, did it. No. I'm not going to take the bait. No comment. <laughs> are, you are the adult among us. <laughs> so are there any additional ways in which you would like to see missing episodes presented? So I don't know about want to, but I think I know what the future is. You know, as we are moving ahead in technology, there's this concept of deep fake. 
where you can project someone's face onto another body. So I think what we may end up seeing is effectively people miming to those soundtracks being filmed and then using technology to project, say, William Hartnell or Patrick Trappen's face onto that person to try and recreate the story. I think that's what's going to happen mm. in the future, and that's the way technology is going to go. I don't know. I'm sure everyone's seen on these wonderful things. There's that Reface app that allows mm -hmm. you to take a selfie, and it will like put your face on GIFs. A bunch of my friends have been doing that, and they're showing up as Iron Man. I think that's where missing episodes are probably going to go in five, ten years' time. I agree completely. That was actually what I was going to mention as far as how that's going to happen. The other thing I would actually like to see is more recreations in the style of Mission to the Unknown. That. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, so many, you've got these excellent cosplayers that would be more than happy to do it. There's a bunch of people that are budding filmmakers. And I think already having a script and a design idea to go from could give us some really wonderful interpretations of those missing stories. Absolutely. Yeah, and I know that what helped a little bit with Mission to the Unknown is having the actors who weren't necessarily coming back. But even if we don't get someone who looks exactly like the original cast, I don't necessarily see that as a problem, given that Doctor Who is all about change anyway. What better way to just be able to still tell the story? It's like, well, the Doctor yeah. just has another face. Absolutely. The, Anthony, uh, I think your I think your deep fake suggestion is a is very likely to be a great way that older doctors will be included in future multi-doctor anniversary episodes. Mm -hmm. The other thing I could see happening is uh, the BBC have a channel called BBC4, which is really dedicated to cultural programming. And maybe for a significant anniversary, I could see them maybe doing their own official remount of something like Marco Polo starring David Bradley as the mm -hmm. first doctor. Mm -hmm. I, would, I, would... I, I would not hate that. No, I would not. Well, you've got that, that whole group from the Adventures in Space and Time, the, the docudrama that was made about the origins of the series. You know, they've been doing big finish audio dramas yeah. as the original four characters. There's no reason to not have the four of them do recreations of these episodes. Mm -hmm. That could be rather fun. Yeah, agreed. I don't know if this would work, but I was thinking that perhaps with episodes that are missing, maybe you could do a combo of animation for the scenes with principal actors and remounts for scenes where the men of them are involved at all. I mean, it's basically a mismatch of what you're saying, but instead of just taking it as one episode as a whole, try to cram it all into one. Maybe that'd be too jarring to do, to go from animation to, but you know, to remounts to so, that. Alan, do you want to talk about that or shall I? I was just going to say they, that's what they kind of did with Shada. They have the the footage that was filmed, and then they and, and I don't think I didn't find it jarring at all. Okay. So Sharda, for anyone who's not familiar with it, is not quite a missing story. It's really right. classified as a a lost story. It was going to be at the end of season seventeen, the the season finale of Tom Baker's sixth season on the show, and they got about halfway through filming it when it was basically scuppered by strikes at the BBC. Mm. And they never finished it. So there was all this unfinished footage, predominantly from the early episodes, that has been out there since the early 80s. And there have been numerous efforts to try and complete it. In the early 90s, Tom Baker did a VHS release where he kind of did linking narration. But more recently, both Ian Levine, who's a well-known superfan, as well as the BBC doing an official version, have done a version of that that is live action with the missing scenes filled in by animation with 
voice actors, whether it was the original cast or, or supplements, coming in to basically do it as scripted. Sure. I thought the uh, the BBC version, they did it as like a two-hour movie rather than episodic. Yeah. That didn't work for me, but the cuts from the animation yeah. to the live action weren't actually that jarring. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think they, they really set up a good segue from one to the other at the beginning. And once you have that in your head, once you have adjusted to seeing it that way, then hard cuts from one to the other later, you just accept as they go. Mm -hmm. And another thing I like to think is there are a few episodes where we don't have everything that I wouldn't necessarily want to see come back and I'd rather see them maybe get another chance. So like the Macro Terror, looking at some of the stills of the cra space crabs, like just didn't really work. So it actually I would prefer to see that kind of redone with a little bit better effects with that because it's just like, how about we give you another shot? <laughs> Macro don't yeah. exist. There are no such things as macro. <laughs> so I, I do have a question for the group. Is How would you feel if they did things using a slightly different animation technique? So how would you like to see, say, Evil of the Daleks done as anime? Yeah. Like Studio Ghibli style? Yeah, why not? It could be fun. It's different. I agree. I don't think it has to be the same style for everyone. I don't know if I would want it as anime, and no. we, we joke about the following thing a lot, but I would actually like to see the people that do the Doctor Puppet to do puppet versions of the missing serials. Oh, that would be fun. I think it would be great. I think if it were done in, in the style of 60s filmation, Ooh, like, yeah. that would be cool. Oh. Like the, the, the Super Marionation things? Um, no, like, like, the, like the original Star Trek animated series. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I was thinking about like Ralph Bakshi. Bakshi. Ralph Bakshi, yeah. That, see that style that he did with Lord of the Rings? The yes. Lord of the Rings film? Or that, uh, that uh, scoping trick mm -hmm. of like using like real human beings, but like on... To, yeah, that, that would be, um, really cool. be very I'll, stylish. I'll go with Don Bluth and just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with Don Bluth, all right? This is just oh, <laughs> my 90s showing. I think we should stage some Brit track recreations. Agreed. To act them out. Agreed. Oh, cool. definitely. I think we're ready. I mean, we already have yep. like a series that we can do the macro yep. claws, like coming in and I'll <laughs> fall backwards and I'll run away. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Who's going to be Jamie? Who's willing to wear a kilt? I have two of them in my closet, so there you there you go. Go. I'll have to shave. <laughs> Can I I'm not gonna... be Susan because I don't want to scream all the time? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you are, you're so Vicky. <laughs> That's high praise right there. <laughs> that is so high praise. Yeah, um, it is. It, um, agreed. <laughs> so um, why are the missing episodes an important part of the Doctor Who fan experience? It is your immediate follow-up question after you ask, oh, well, who's your doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's becoming a Doctor Who fan in the 90s when there wasn't new Doctor Who being made. We almost, and it sounds horrible in retrospect because there are so many worse things going on in the world. We almost had like this kind of victim complex as a fan group of, oh no, everyone hates our show. It's lampooned as being campy and bad That's special true. effects. That's true. Uh, we're ridiculed in, in high school for liking this show. And then on top of that, someone's gone and just destroyed a bunch of the episodes that we love <laughs> because everyone hates us. I, I mean, it's really part of that kind of shared suffering. 
what I found so interesting about it is that it, it allows you to kind of be included in like this mystery and this like lost relics and it pulls you in like Indiana Jones or even better like a Lovecraft mythos of like there's this book or this story that's out there somewhere in the world and only maybe a collector might have it and oh who knows what could be on there what how what amazing it could be and it's just it's kind of cool if you become a Doctor Who fan it's like you join this you know, like mystery club of like here yeah, there's this great mystery that we're all part of and you know who knows where it could be and we can talk about it, imagine what it could be like and it allows your imagination to just go out there and just let yourself just take whatever idea you want to and say like that's what I think that missing story would be like that's a wonderful thing that's that's a wonderful thing that just really just lights your brain on fire and I think that's and that I find, I think is really special about it. It's just that everyone is enticed by the curiosity and the mystery. And I, I just love that. I think that's my favorite answer from the entire hour. <laughs> as as cult-like yeah. as it makes the whole thing sound, which is in no way super disturbing, it I think you're right. <laughs> the fact, that's just what a cult member would say. <laughs> the fact that it's unavailable, you can't get it, it's yeah. missing, just makes you want it all the more. Right. I and mean, there just, are certain serials that they're lost and you listen to them and you probably wouldn't care if they were actually existent. But just the fact that you can't watch it like it was just entices you and makes you want it. Yeah. I think and it's I, important because it illustrates how kind of fragile this whole medium is. And, and it makes you appreciate what we do have, particularly from the 60s, because <laughs> there's every chance in the world that we would never have had any of it. Yeah, it's also a... Even though everything seems to be available through streaming or somewhere online, there's also this other part of how easily it can be taken away. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I yes. still collect things. I still yes. have physical copies of, of certain things that I really enjoy because That's right. while I think it exists, they say that everything on the internet will exist forever. I don't know that I believe that. Yeah. So. Also, I know Alan will have experienced this and, and Cara will, but the excitement when something is returned oh my as well. Yeah. I mean, I remember 2013 when we all knew because the whispering had been going on for about two years that there'd been a big find, but we all knew something was coming soon. And I remember hearing through the various online forums, Gallifrey Base, Facebook missing episodes groups, all that online chatter, the BBC have set up an announcement for tonight. There's an embargo on this and staying up and i think it was released at midnight <laughs> in the uk time which meant 7 p.m here they sent out that press release put web of fear and enemy of the world straight onto itunes and i'm with julie i like having things on physical media but it was going to be a while before they came out on DVD. Oh. so i bought them there and then on itunes yeah. sat on my laptop waited three hours for them to download by which time it was <laughs> 10 o'clock yeah. at night Yes. And sat there and watched all of the Enemy of the World, went to bed at like 1 a.m., had work the next day, felt terrible, but it was 100% worth it. That level of excitement is well, something special. The last ones that were recovered before 2013, if I remember rightly, was all the way back to 2003, right? Yeah, 2011, it was Galaxy 4, Episode 3, and Underwater Menace, Episode 2. I'd forgotten about that one. I was thinking of the, the ones from Master Plan yeah. that were released in 03, and that was a thrill to see those for the first time. And they got those out pretty quick because yeah, they put they them on the, on the Lost in Time set, exactly. which no one was expecting. I mean, right. Enemy of the World, they didn't give an official release for about four years. 
um, after they found, not Enemy of the World, uh, sorry, Underwater Menace. It took about four years for them to give that an, an official release. And mm-hmm. I remember a friend of mine from the UK sending me a DVD-R with the episode burnt on it like two months after the announcement. And I was like, oh, no one's going to see this because this hasn't been officially released. I feel special. Right. Uh, so, of course, right. I invited all my friends around who would have cared and we, we, we did a, a viewing together. But, you know, it's, it's that excitement around them. It makes it something, something fun. I'm hoping the statute of limitations on that copyright infringement has expired now, because you you did just confess to that on the internet. I just received Uh, something. I did not ask for it. I did not make it. uh Uh-huh. A likely story. (laughs) It was only located inside a stuffed teddy bear. Like, (laughs) Oh, wow. Kara's going to have to cut this. Yeah. So... The missing episodes are a big part of the fan experience. I know for myself, um, I think that they're really important because, of, especially when it comes to people who are fans of the new series and haven't really delved into the classic series at all, that you kind of already know that the classic series exists and you think, oh, I can just start episode one and just work my way through. And then you find out, well, you can't, and it's more like a puzzle piece that you have to fit together. So it becomes this like secret handshake amongst Whovians uh, when it comes to sharing the pain of having to find something or somebody sharing like there's a fan version of this, go watch it. Or there's the Marco Polo episode, which I actually watched at an Atlanta Galfrayans meeting. You know, <laughs> And that paired with, with Sea Devils was a very odd evening. But oh, I it, it was, but I will say that it's a part of the fan experience because it kind of brings the community even closer together. And insofar as not only are we fans and we're, we're celebrating this fandom, but we're also experiencing the want or lack thereof of things. And so we can commiserate amongst each other. And, and especially when you meet somebody who realizes that they're missing for the first time and you get to pat them on the back and say, mm-hmm. hey, I got you. <laughs> and, and, I got and, you. And realizing when you're watching BritBox and all of a sudden goes from like midway through season two to season four and you're just like, but what happens? Right. <laughs> oh, that's because they don't exist. Okay, cool. Great. And that, that's been one of the interesting things doing the podcast is Riley did his own watch through a couple of years before this. Mm-hmm. And now we're filling in the gaps and Riley's experiencing all these stories he'd never experienced the first time around because he didn't have access to this stuff or didn't know where to look. Right. Mm-hmm. I think so, I mean, I, I, for example, the first second doctor story that I remember ever seeing was Tomb of the Cybermen. So way, way far in there. Yeah. Nice. Actually, Anthony, you kind of touched on almost a bit of an oblique point, which is when you're looking at these missing episodes, the type of recreation that you watch is going to have a pretty big impact on how you That's feel true. about it. That's true. I think it was Power of the Daleks, right? Where three of us watched the animation and one of us watched the loose cannon reconstruction. Yeah. And we had wildly different feelings about it just based on the presentation of the story. Yeah. Yeah. I think it may have been me that watched the loose can reconstruction, not the animation. I wasn't yeah. going to call yeah. you out, but yes, it was totally. Yeah, weird. yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, and I and yeah. I wanted to stay that way for a while because I felt like I wanted to like I, I was okay with lack of motion with the stills. I felt like I could get a better feeling of it because I just when we're but now I, I I I'm fine with the animation. I enjoy it thoroughly. Well, and we all make sure to watch the black and white. 
animation. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That color just weirds me out. It's like pale pastel, first off, so that's weird anyway. <laughs> and then, obviously, this was the era of black and white, so I couldn't right. watch it in black and white. Absolutely. Curious. <laughs> I think all of Doctor Who should be in black and white. Once the color shows up, it just weirds me out. <laughs> you can you can turn down the contrast on when we get to the color area. <laughs> That's uh, so, true. So, Caro, I don't think we asked you. Is is there a Doctor Who a missing Doctor Who story that you would like to see returned? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I I appreciate. I feel so bad for Jamie. He just like breaks my heart in general. So I mean. I brought up the Highlanders specifically for that reason, just because I want to see like his origin story. I want to see all the turns and all their glory. I want to see all of it. And when it comes to his, just, just him and knowing about him. And I think that just getting to know him a little bit better, I guess. And so you're also going for handsome Scotsman in kilts is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on, come on. Why I mean, not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. You guys just don't understand. I get you. <laughs> Does Ben get shirtless in the Highlanders? Because that's another strong point. <laughs> <laughs> that's, this is true. This is true. I think he might do. I, don't I, know. I, I think, think so. that's actually in The Smugglers. Smugglers is the episode of Shirtless Men. So. Yes, it mm-hmm. yes, it is. Yes. I mean, they're pirates. Obviously, that's what's going to happen. Arr. Arr. Well, on that pirate note, we're going to end our wonderful panel. Just, I really thank you guys for laughing through this and for uh, sharing your wisdom, especially educating those who don't really know a lot about the missing episodes of Doctor Who and um, sharing all your wonderful, wonderful thoughts. So, um, Anthony, where can people locate your uh, podcast? So you can find us at watches4d.podbean.com or you can find us wherever you like to get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and that's Watches in the Fourth Dimension. Which is a fabulous show. Thank say. you, Alan. <laughs> so Alan, where can people find uh, your collective writings? Well, you can read all about Doctor Who, including some of the missing stories by checking out a couple of my books. You are available at cosmicpress.com, which is K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. Great. And you can also find the Brit Track at uh, the Brit Track. We have various different social media platforms, including YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So feel free to comment, join, and have fun with all things. So thank you. We're going to sign off for now. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And thanks, DragonCon. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, we hope that you found that informative. We'll be back to our regular programming next time around when we will kick off our journey through Season 5 with the Tomb of the Cybermen. As usual, you can interact with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D. You can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice. It really does help us out. But for now, thank you for listening and have a good one. 
You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philpack, and myself, Anthony Williams, moderator Karen Cully Tidwell, and special guest Alan Siler. This episode, Nobody Likes This, But It'll Be Cheap, was recorded as part of Dragon Con Goes Virtual on Wednesday, the 12th of August 2020, and was originally released over Labor Day weekend. And please remember to keep your eyes peeled for old film cans. You never know, Grandma may have a missing episode in her attic.